So last week I went hiking in the Appalachian Trail with Brian Smith and we walked up to Raven's Rock. And along the way, you see what are called trailblazes. And these are the marks that let us know and remind us which way the path is. And then the Appalachian Trail, there are these white um, uh, marks, paint marks, they put on rocks or posts or on trees. And, and they let you know if you missed the path, and which I in fact did. There's so many rocks on that part of the trail that I went, uh, the, 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 the trail took a dog leg to the left and I just kept going straight. And Brian's like, actually the trail's over here. And okay, sure enough, there's the trail blaze and we get back on the trail. It just made me think about how, you know, there was many time years ago, some point in history where somebody went out into the wilderness in the Appalachian Mountains and blazed the Appalachian Trail. They figured out where the path should be so that Brian and I and thousands of other people year after year can enjoy the Appalachian Trail. They went before and they showed us the way that we should go. And that is very much like what the Christian life is like in terms of being a missionary for Jesus. We're trailblazers to let other people know what the path is and, and what the message is that, that Jesus has. Now, keep in mind though that people are sometimes gonna reject that message Jesus has given us that message. We've uh, joyfully accepted and received it. And he's asked us to share it with other people, but not everybody is going to receive it. Some people are going to reject it. And how they're going to reject it could be something very mild, just a cold shoulder, or it could be something far more extreme like we see in this text. So if you haven't read it yet, go ahead and pause the video. We're looking at Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 29. So here we get three little sections that I think all fit in under this idea of being a trailblazer for the message of Jesus, and yet some are going to reject. We see, first of all, Jesus is in Nazareth. It's his hometown, and, and yet they reject his message. And what's the message? Well, look at verse 3. It says, is not this the carpenter? So they're like, hey, we grew up with this guy. The son of Mary and brother and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us. It's like, we all know his family. We know him. And they, yet they took offense at him. And it says earlier in the passage that they were amazed by his powerful works. So they weren't offended by him healing people. That's not offensive. What's offensive is the message of repentance. He calls them to account on the fact that they're not following God, and he calls them to repent and to believe the gospel. They don't like to hear that, and they reject his message. And then we see the same thing happen with the next section. The apostles get sent out on a short-term missions trip. And what's the message they give? In verse 12, it says, So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Now, you guys can get in and talk to about you know, a lot of the detail that Jesus gives them to trust him and have faith as they go along the way. But the point here is that he guides them on, hey, you're going to find some people that are going to reject you. And he says in verse 12 that if they don't listen when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet and as a testimony against them. In other words, just, just move on. Some are going to reject. They're not going to like it. And then we have a far more serious rejection in 14 through 29 in the death of John the Baptist. Look at it says in verses 17 and 18. For it was Herod who had sent 
and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So the king had married his brother's wife. So he committed adultery with his, his brother's wife and married her. And John the Baptist, he's not intimidated by a man in a powerful position like Herod. He just tells him the truth that you need to repent and believe in the gospel. And of course, this is extremely uh, offensive to Herod and Herodias because they do not want to repent. They don't want to start following God. And so they're offended even to the point, as you will see in the story, that they actually, uh, Herodias finds a way to kill John the Baptist. John the Baptist loses his life. Now, I just want to highlight, though, that why is it that we have so much incredible detail about John the Baptist's death here? You know, uh, Mark, unlike the other Gospels, is, is a lot more abbreviated. I don't know if you've noticed that as we've gone through. A lot of the same stories that you see in Matthew and Luke, but they're shorter. There's less information. Get here with the death of John the Baptist. Wow, we get way more detail, minute detail about his death, even more detail than we've had about John the Baptist in the beginning in his whole ministry. He just sort of arrives on the scene quickly and then is gone. And yet we get uh, whatever it is, uh, 15 verses or so on why and how he died. Now, now, why is that and what is Mark trying to do for us? Now, I think it's important, though, to be reminded about what it says about um, John the Baptist in the beginning of Mark. It says in verse uh, 2 and 3 of chapter 1, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, so he's about to quote from prophets from the Old Testament that are prophecies about John the Baptist. He says, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. That part is quoting from Isaiah 40 verse three. Now, I'm very familiar with that passage. Uh, was reminded of it again as we studied this, but there are new things to me that jumped out of it when we got to the death of John the Baptist. Again, why is it that Mark gives us so much detail here? Because, you know, John the Baptist was out in the wilderness. That's where he did his ministry and he was preparing the way of the Lord. I'd always thought about John the Baptist as just as the prophet who would come before Jesus. But what he's saying, he's going to prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. That's like a trailblazer. John the Baptist doesn't just start the Appalachian Trail, he trailblazes the entire trail. And so when we have his death here, John the Baptist isn't just leading with the message of Jesus, he is also becoming a, a marker, a, a way forward in the path of Jesus for us because Jesus is going to die. Just like Jesus is gonna die, John the Baptist has down that same path towards death. There's a lot of detail given in this, and there's incredible uh, parallels between the death of John the Baptist and the death of Jesus. Mark is showing us that, that Jesus is going to die in the same way that John the Baptist, the one who's preparing the way and making the path straight in the wilderness. Now, what is there for us in all of that? 
jump over to chapter 8 of Mark. He calls the crowd to him with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In those days, the cross was not a religious symbol. You didn't wear the cross as a you know, part of your jewelry around your neck. Uh, this was an execution device. Someone who is carrying their cross is somebody that's carrying their instrument of execution to the place where they're going to be executed. I mean, can you imagine uh, us wearing like a guillotine around our neck, you know, or a symbol for a, an electric chair? It'd be gruesome and odd to have something like that. But what Jesus is calling his disciples to, people who want to follow him, is to their death, to be willing to follow him to their death. Now, Jesus, we, he may not call us to die as a martyr's death like John the Baptist, although you know John the Baptist was the first and there's been many, many other Christians after him who have, mar who have died for their faith. But to lose relationships in your hometown like Jesus did, that's a kind of death. To suffer through difficult relationships in your family with your spouse or neighbors or other people, that's a kind of death. Am I willing to die to what I want for the sake of Christ and His cause? And again, when we're doing those things, we become a clear trailblaze in our life that other people can follow to go down the same path of Christ. And I want you to see that very idea in 1 Peter. Chapter 2 and chapter 3 hit this idea in incredible detail. It is amazing to me how much is jumping off the pages of 1 Peter as I've seen this, this um, idea of a trailblazer in John the Baptist. Look at what he says, in, starting in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good. In other words, if you're doing what's right, you shouldn't get harmed yet. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, in other words, doing the right thing, I suffer, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. In other words, when people are wronging you, the opportunity to respond in love is going to say to them, wow, this person hopes in something that I don't fully understand. I got to understand that. When they see us reply in love to sin, which is what Jesus Christ did for us, we are communicating to them something about what Jesus Christ has also done for them. And in our reply, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In other words, if somebody reviles me and I honor and respect them back and love them back, in other words, they hate me yet I love them in return, that gives them a great opportunity to realize what they've done is wrong and to turn in repentance. Yet if I reply in the kind, reply in the way that they've attacked me, then in a way that justifies their preemptive strike against me. Verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Why is it better? Verse 18, for Christ also suffered for sins, 
the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Boom, right there. That is what Jesus Christ has done for us. And when we do that for other people, we are showing them the path of Christ. They get to see a small little version of the giant thing that Jesus Christ has done in their life. My response of righteousness to their sin is what Jesus did to me. He loved me while I hated him so that he could bring me to God. Guys, wow, wow. I mean, that is what John the Baptist is. He is preparing the way in the wilderness for others, for Jesus. And in the same way, we prepare the way for others to find Jesus as well by our conduct and by our interaction with them. So the message of repentance and the message of the gospel is going to offend some people. Some people are not going to like it. You might just have to dust the, the dirt off your sandals and move on. You might lose long-time relationships that you've had, or, or you might suffer significant, uh, significant pain along the way. But let's keep following Jesus because he is so pleased with our obedience and, and glorifying him and, and illuminating what he has done for us in our response to people as they sin against us. I'm looking forward to studying this and hearing more from you guys as we get together this Sunday. 